Top stories in the news, City Council and Board of Estimate leaders don't like Kerry's Big Mac plan for New York City. Norwalk, Connecticut teacher strike tentatively settled. Republican conservatives say Ford and Rockefeller are not automatically entitled to the 76 nominations. This is Lester Smith reporting. Next news as it happens. Next scheduled news at 11 o'clock over WOR Radio 710, The Talk of New York. And here's Gene Shepard. Tickets to the show at Princeton this Friday night, I know. Listen, I'm so used to having my name misspelled that I think it's misspelled when it comes to me once in a while. Spelled right. As a matter of fact, my name was misspelled on my birth certificate. And not only that, when I graduated from college, misspelled on the diploma. <laughs> well, uh, wait, that's not all. Do you know that my name is misspelled on my, on, on my Exxon credit card? And that's very embarrassing, you know, when I, I have to keep remembering, you know, when I write the thing down to misspell it on the thing there. And uh, my name is also misspelled on uh, other more embarrassing things. For example, on my car registration. Yeah. Right, so, 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 well, yeah, you know, a couple of couple of months ago, see, I'm, I'm going along the Jersey Turnpike. You know how when you're in the traffic there, your head starts going to sleep, and I'm just going along there, you know, doing the thing, and the smoke is coming in the crud, the Jersey beauties on all side of me, you know, all those wonderful refineries in the Jersey swamp. I love to watch the... Nothing more in, interesting in the spring than to drive along the Jersey Turnpike out there by exit to 14 and 15 and enjoy the spring scenery. It's just beautiful. The, the smoke changes the color in the spring, you know. I, uh, you can tell it's spring because the smoke gets a little uh, greenish, <laughs> you know, that uh, drifts over the horizon there. And, and instead of the usual winter gray, uh, and so I'm, I'm looking at the scenery, and all of a sudden I see these red lights go back at me, you know. And he comes out with a little thing, goes whoop, whoop, like that. That means, okay, buddy. So I pull over. And he says, well, let me see. Come on, get out your registration, your driver's license. Where the hell do you think you're going, huh? Well, I, you know, it's kind of embarrassing. You can't tell a guy that you're heading for East Passaic, you know. You should say at least the French Riviera. And uh, so I hand him the stuff there. 
And uh, he says, well, he said, he said here, what, what, what are you trying to give me here? I says, what do you mean? He said, your name is on one of you got two different things here. This ain't your car, is it? And I said, well, yes, it is, actually. He said, well, you got two names then, huh? I says, no, I haven't got two names. But uh, I just have to live this way, sir. Sir. Uh, by the way, you have to remember to use the word sir when you're in trouble at all times, sir. Do you agree? Many a guy has gone down the chute just from forgetting to use that word, sir. Now, it depends on how you use it. You can use the word sir to really be an ultimate put-down, you know, like, uh, uh, yeah, I know, sir, you know, zap, you'll get it then, too. So uh, there's all little techniques you learn to get by in this jungle of, of existence. And so after I explained to him that my name, being such, is misspelled at all times, he then misspelled it on the ticket he gave me. So, uh, I, <laughs> which, of course, I proceeded to ignore, because after all, the ticket wasn't made out to me. <laughs> oh, would you please sneak in a little of that uh, bad stuff? Just the, the second one. No, no, the second one. The other one, you know, the one, the sneaky one. He said, sneak it in. Sneak it in. No, I knew it. That's not, that's, that's a good now. Hold it there. I just needed that to clear up my sinuses. Now, now, set it back again. Hmm. There, my sinuses feel better now. Well, I'm forever blowing up bubbles, but uh, so uh, don't don't worry if your tickets say that you're actually going to a Jerry Vale concert uh, this coming uh, Friday night at uh, <laughs> at the Princeton at Alexander Hall. That's all part of the great vast plan. That's part of our. That's, see, we start the jokes even before the show starts. It's the way we work it. So uh, speaking of jokes, we would like to at this point salute. Um, you know, crime is getting to be so prosaic. I mean, we're so used to crime today that nobody pays much attention to crime anymore. You know, it used to be... Uh, see, I say that the reason that Bonnie and Clyde and, uh, and John Dillinger are such big deals is because in their day, uh, people didn't sit around and watch crime shows 24 hours a day. Uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the fact that somebody held up the bank was a big deal. But in a day of like now, you know, 1975, when crime shows are proliferating, and cop shows are even more proliferating. I mean, you get shows like SWAT, where these guys come pouring out of what looks like an armored car with bazookas. I mean, boy, that's a peaceful society, isn't it? You know, <laughs> they go <laughs> leaping over fences and they have rocket launchers and all that kind of stuff just to catch this poor little pickpocket. You know, it was terrible the other day. I felt sorry for the guy they were after. One poor little guy wearing a Sears Roebuck sports shirt was laying on top of a building, you know, that looked like he had a Remington 22. And he'd been shooting that 22 around the air there, see, and they sent the SWAT team after him. And, of course, they unloaded the heavy artillery. You know, <laughs> rocket launchers were going. And this guy's laying up there clinging to the roof. <laughs> and I, a terrible thing happened to me. Halfway through the show, I began to sympathize with the criminal. And uh, that's just, you know, not what the idea of the show was. And I kept saying, get one of them! Get one of them! Go on, let's see! Hey, there's that one! Hide my car! Get him! And he was shooting that poor little twenty-two. He had twenty-two target shorts. I mean, you know, the little tiny was he. He, he, you know, he was having trouble putting the hole through a slice of American cheese with that little gun. And they were shooting these. Uh, oh, they had Sten guns, brand guns, automatic rifles, pistols, AK-70s, the whole works. <laughs> Rocket goes swishing back. So you know, we're living in very, very heavily armed times. So I don't think. Bonnie and Clyde would have made it today. There's Bonnie and Clyde's working all over America. Nobody even gives them a second glance. Why, did you did you hear the story the other day? There's a bank held up over here in Jersey. Yeah, these, these, these two guys came in, and they jumped out of their car. They had a pinto, 
And uh, kind of that's kind of a letdown, isn't it? You know, remember the good old days when when there'd be a piece in the paper about a bank robbery. It says the it says the uh, the alleged thugs fled in a large black automobile. You know, you can't say the alleged thugs fled in a pimpel runabout. Uh, that's kind of sad, you know, with that little motor popping away there in the Reynolds wrap hood and everything. So, nevertheless, uh, you, know, you just can't see Spencer Tracy uh, hanging out of the back window of a Dodge Colt, you know, shooting it out with the cops who are coming up behind him, you know, in a VW 1600 wagon. It just doesn't have this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, the whole point about Bonnie and Clyde is that they were big because, you know, crime was a thing people just heard about. They never really saw it. So when it happened in the neighborhoods, uh, you know, Bonnie comes in and, and they hold up the store and they shoot the guy and all that, you know, that was big talk. Today, no way. Did you hear about in Jersey? These two guys rode into this bank. And uh, they, uh, they were going to hold it up, see. And so sure enough, they get everything lined up against the counters in there. And uh, naturally, there's uh, uh, people are laying on the floor and all that. And somebody got out, see, and he runs next door. And he goes into this hamburger joint next door. And he hollers, they're holding up the bank next door. Nobody even looked up. They just kept drinking their coffee. You know what the hell, you know. It's the third time this week. I mean, <laughs> you can't get excited after seven or eight of them. And so Bonnie and Clyde lived in a day when you could make a reputation. It must really be, must really infuriate a guy that's a bank robber today. I mean, knocks over 47 banks, and he doesn't even get past page 38. You know? And uh, he just never makes it in the front page. Just so hard to make it these days, right, gang? Gee, you know? So, uh, nevertheless, we have to salute a guy who's really trying to make a little excitement in the neighborhood with his crime. In Covington, Kentucky. Now, do you know anything about Covington? Oh, I lived in Covington. <laughs> Uh, you, ever, you, you ever seriously? You ever pick up a paper? You know, you're sitting around, and uh, you're eating a hamburger or something, and you pick up a paper, and there's a news report from a place where you once lived. Now, I've discovered that most people live and die in the same town, <laughs> so they, it never happens to them. And if they do, they make one move in their life. You know, they they move from Plainfield to Bloomfield. You know, which is like moving three stops up the line on a bus. And uh, so they don't have the excitement of reading these little bits that come from all over the country, places where you once lived, right? Oh, so I'm, I, I never talk much about my Covington, Kentucky days. They were colorful days. And I will tell you about the life on a Saturday night in Covington, Kentucky, immediately following this fantastic blast from the commercial department. Uh, this is WOR New York. Why? <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, oh, yes, you want to hear about uh, this crime. This is a great crime. In Covington, Kentucky, uh, a bank robber, or at least a guy who tried to rob a bank. <laughs> I'd love to see this in canon. I really would. He tried to rob a bank by ramming a 16-ton bulldozer right through the side of the bank. <laughs> now, that's the direct approach. I mean, there's no subtlety of that. You know, you just drive a bulldozer, boom. The bulldozer shredded the side of the building and pushed a, a steel safe weighing several thousand pounds, 15 feet. In fact, the safe weighed over four tons. He pushed it 15. That's a, that's a serious attempt, you'd have to say. Uh, part of the bank floor collapsed. The roof fell in, and the bulldozer got stuck in the hole that it made. And then it uh, conked out on him. You know, the motor, he couldn't get it out. At that point, he just cut out and ran. I mean, with an empty sack in his hand, says the police. <laughs>
are now investigating. I like that line at the end. Talk about redundant lines. Police are investigating. <laughs> I'd just like to say the police are not investigating. I figured just the local native needed some cash. Well, uh, you know, that happens in places like Covington. I'll tell you about Covington. You want to know about Covington? Well, all right. I never, I never talked to you, you know, about that time. There's certain times in your life you just black out, right? You just don't want to hear about it. You don't talk about it. And, and, that, and that's true of everybody. Absolutely everybody. Like, you can be with somebody for ten years, you know, some friend of yours, and all of a sudden, without any warning, he'll just say, uh, well, that's like the time that uh, the Toregs almost caught me, and they shot at me. It's, what, Al? The Toregs? Oh, yeah, yeah, I used to be in the, uh, the Egyptian army. He said, what, what? Oh, I don't like to talk about it. And at that point, you realize that, that your life is not an open book to other people, nor is their life an open book to you. And um, in my case, I don't talk much about coming. Not because it was an unpleasant time, but it just was one of those, uh, it was just a time. You know, there are certain times in your life when nothing really registers. Have you ever been through times like that where you just sort of, you're there, you know? <laughs> you're, it's like your whole head, everything. Your life is asleep. And uh, for, for a year and a half, I lived on Madison Avenue in Covington, Kentucky. Now, Covington is uh, right across the Ohio River from Cincinnati. And in fact, it's closer to midtown Cincinnati than most people living in Cincinnati. Yeah, you know, because Cincinnati's a great big city, and the, the main section of town is right on the river. So if you, you could live way out on the other side of Cincinnati, you know, up around the old places like Silverton and Avondale, and you could be so far out of the main part of Cincinnati that a guy living in, living in Kentucky is closer to midtown Cincinnati. See, well, that's the kind of... And, and right between the cities is this great big river. I mean, and it's a big mother. Oh, that's that's a river. I mean, that's that old devil river. And uh, it is. It really is. Uh, when the Ohio... And the Ohio is a mean river at that point. It just goes. It really flows. It's not at all uncommon to walk across the bridge. They have a suspension bridge. A couple of them across the river, they see. And they had a... Uh, every night, I would walk across the suspension bridge because I liked to. It was right across the... I lived almost at the foot of the bridge, right on the other side of the bridge from the from the city, and I would leave the city and uh, walk out uh, down down to the riverfront. And I saw some great sights in the riverfront. Uh, they have a levee down there. You probably... You know, I'll bet, I'll bet there's, a, there's a thing in Cincinnati that is seen on more commercials and old and movies than any other single thing that I know of in any city outside of New York and the Empire State Building. And you ne it's never identified with Cincinnati. It's the old Delta Queen, which is the paddle wheeler. I have ridden on the Delta Queen. You know what guys used to do in the Delta Queen? The Delta Queen used to used to go up the river. It does, still does. You know, the Delta Queen operates out of Cincinnati. It's a real paddle wheeler. It's got this great big paddle that actually works. See, a lot of paddle wheelers are fakes. Like, yeah, well, they are. People go down and they have these fake paddle wheelers that are actually propeller-driven ships, and they have a fake paddle wheel on the back to give a little color, you know. But the paddle wheeler, the old Delta Queen, they two, there used to be two of them, the Delta Queen and the River Queen. And uh, they were twin ships, and they, would, they, they were built a long time ago, like before World War I. They were built around the time, around 1910, and they were still operating. They still are, see. So this is not the old days. These things are artifacts. And uh, they'd sit down at the levee, looking just like out of a scene out of uh, 
out of uh, summertime, you know, Porky and Bess. And, uh, and it was always hot. This time of the year, oh, God, does it get hot. Oh, you have no idea how hot that Ohio Valley can get. If you think it gets hot in this area, friend, the, see, that's a valley. And it's, it's, it's moist because the river is there. And this great river plain is all around. And these hills rise up, and there's not a breath of air. The wind will not blow <laughs> for maybe three or four or five months. And uh, it's just like this, this great big gob of hot, moist, warm, fetid, river swamp-like air settles down on Cincinnati just about the 1st of June. And uh, moist, oh, you talk about humidity. Listen, the humidity was such that if you wanted a glass of water and you didn't want to walk down the street, all you had to do was take a glass out of your hand and wave it around in the air, and the water starts pouring on your head. I mean, if you, if you went out to the ballpark and clapped too loud, you'd cause a little rainstorm. It was going to pour on down. They'd warn you, don't clap today. So, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, it was that kind of thing. So every night I would walk, I would walk over the over the bridge, see. And this bridge is about a mile long. It's a tremendous river. And the water, you'd see this dark water. And the water's deep under this bridge. It's all 40, 50, 60 feet deep. And it's filled with all kinds of strange things. For example, channel cats go drifting down the Ohio River in the middle of summer. These are huge catfish. Uh, you wouldn't believe the size some of these catfish get. If you've never seen a catfish, man, a catfish makes your average shark look comfortable and small. A really big catfish weighs three, 400 pounds. <laughs> they, they're really something. So you walk across over this bridge, and it's very high, and they had a narrow catwalk just for pedestrians. It was a pedestrian bridge, and you paid two cents to walk on a bridge. And there's a guy sitting in this little house. He'd come up, and you'd give him two cents, and you'd start walking across the bridge. Well, it was the kind of bridge, you know, that had a, an iron grating under your feet. You could look straight down at the water. It's kind of scary. And uh, now you're way out in the middle there, the bridge, and the bridge was a suspension bridge, and it would sway. And if you looked up at the sky over your head, you see these great big suspension cables coming down, you know, the great big arching cables, and you just see the whole thing just moving back, back and forth, and you hear it creaking and the wind blowing, and you'd smell the river. Fantastic smell. If you, uh, if you don't know the smell of a, one of America's great rivers, uh, it's not a bad smell. Don't, don't assume it's, it's like a swamp, and it isn't. It's a river smell. It's a, it's a smell almost so primal, it's difficult to describe it. If you haven't smelled it, well, you have, you must. If it's primal, you know what it's like. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's ancient living things and dying things and ancient waters and, and uh, ancient mud and ancient heat and the whole work. See, so I'm out across this bridge, and, and I, I, first night I remember walking across and it arches way up and it goes down on the other side. And as it goes down, it gets down, down further. And there are deltas and levees there, you see, because they have tremendous floods. Well, you get down on the other side, down in Covington, and the temperature, if anything, is 10 to 15 degrees warmer than it is on the Cincinnati side. For geographical reasons, there's a, a ring of hills that just encompasses Covington, just goes right around it like a, like a pocket or a cup. And um, I was really, I was really having a tough time. I was a student, and uh, I didn't have much money, and so I had rented this apartment. <laughs> At first, I lived in Hawaii, and uh, that was impossible. I'm telling you. 
And uh, then I, I decided to get an apartment, so I rented this this little apartment. It was about the size of, oh, you're maybe three average Madison Avenue phone booths laid end to end. And uh, it was over a jewelry store, <laughs> I remember, right on the main street. And, and have you ever gone down down through any any uh, small American cities and you see all these stores, you see jewelry stores, and you see appliance stores, and you see these blank windows above them? Hardly anybody looks up there. Well, I lived in one of those blank windows above the jewelry store. And what I didn't know when I rented the apartment was that this guy, the guy that owned the jewelry store, he also had some kind of a, I don't know what the story was, but he had right over, or rather right under my room, I was sort of in the in the side in the back, I could look out over the street, and it was on a corner, you see, and I could, it was a corner apartment, but right under my room, right under my apartment, he had a boiler, <laughs> a boiler, I mean a boiler, so that I didn't realize, I, I had rented this thing in the winter, see, it was kind of cold, so the boiler felt great, the apartment was warm, I just thought it was nice. What I did not realize was that that boiler was going winter and summer, and it was like sitting on top of a coal stove, <laughs> and, and by, by June, my apartment was about maybe three, four hundred degrees, that was in the shade when it was cool, when the wind was blowing. And uh, when it would get hot, it was so hot that uh, you just stagger. You just open the door and you stagger back. So every night, I'd open up all the windows. I had no money at all. And I'd come in with a bag of, of White Castle. Uh, white, that was my meal. See, I'd get these White Castle hamburgers. I grew to love the White Castle hamburger in those days. <laughs> I mean, you know, in moments of adversity, you learn about things. And uh, I'd come in with a sack of White Castles. I had two or three White Castles, and I'd get this orange drink. And I would save the ice out of it because it was the only cool thing within blocks. You'd take this ice, and, and I'd, I'd sit there, and I'd drink the orange drink very carefully, and I'd eat my, my White Castle hamburgers very carefully. It was a high point of my day. See, I was having this elegant meal, and I'd look out of the window. It was getting dark, and the fireflies were drifting around. And the heat is coming up from the from the river, and I could smell the river, great waves of this river smell. And just about, oh, just about this time at night, about 8.15, 9, 9.15, it was just getting really dark. I'd hear in the distance, I'd hear this. You'd hear this, for a long time I didn't know what the hell it was, see? And then it would go away. And, and and I had just come to that area, so I didn't I didn't quite know what it, what it was. I figured there was some kind of a carnival around there. But one night I came over the bridge late. Fantastic sight! If you've never seen this, you just don't know what it's like. I just have to describe it to you. The river curved away. Uh, if you're walking over the bridge from Cincinnati uh, to your left, uh, the river makes a great big sweeping, tremendous. Right-hand turns, great big bend in the river, and these dark hills came down on either side of it, just like cut down through that. That uh, those hills was this was this river, and the the uh, the moon was shining off of it. The first time I saw this, it was a fantastic sight. Uh, the, the moon was glistening on the river there. I could smell the catfish, and it was it was hot. Oh, I mean, really hot. Maybe 105, 110 degrees, maybe 99 percent humidity. And uh, just then, just as, I, as I'm right in the middle of the bridge there on this, this night, I was late coming home, I saw this fantastic scene. <laughs> what a scene. Before we, uh, you know, 
I, I guess it's summer that does this to me. I, I'm, I really dig summer. I'm not a, I'm not a winter type. How about you, Jim? You don't know, huh? But it's much, much more fun flying in the summer than it is in the winter, personally. Uh, well, I'm talking about as a pilot here. What is nothing that uh, that is more exciting than to go out here, Cherokee 140, at uh, 6 o'clock in the morning and the temperature standing at 20 below zero, and you open up the petcocks on the bottom of the wing to try to find out if, you, if you've, uh, you know, got any moisture in the gas overnight, and you get a shot of ice-cold gas that runs down your elbow, and, uh, oh, I'll tell you, <laughs> then you get on the airplane, you sit down, you get all set, you get everything ready, you go through your checklist, and you throw the switch, and then you finally press the starter button, and it goes, mm. Winter. <laughs> well, it ain't all skiing and Aspen and fun and games, friends, right? But uh, summertime, I'll tell you. That one of the great summer sights that I've ever seen, whenever anybody mentions summer to me, uh, and I think it's one of the great sights uh, of, uh, of America, is the scene that I saw that night on the bridge. It just, it just all came together that night. It was about 9 o'clock. It was uh, June night, and it was warm and sensual. Oh, the, you know, the, I think one of the reasons why jazz came out of New Orleans and the river places like St. Louis. Now, listen, this is a theory Shepard has. And I have lived in, the, in this place, so I know a little about it. That I think one of the reasons jazz came out of places like uh, uh, St. Louis and uh, New Orleans, great uh, fountainheads of jazz, is because of the sensuality, among other things. There are other elements. But the sensuality of river life is just not like any other kind of life in the country. There is a sensual quality, especially in the spring and in the fall and mid midsummer, to life on the shores of a river. How and why it is, it would take me 1,500 shows maybe to say, but it is a very sensual area. Sensual because you smell life itself. Uh, it's not like the, the ocean. The ocean is, is somehow remote. It's it's. It's forbidding. It's awe-inspiring. It's a lot of things. It's dangerous. But the river somehow is like a, it's like a like an artery or a, or something that's that's flowing right out of the land, and and you can see the land going up on all sides of it, and you can smell it. And so, on this June night, I uh, I was walking across the bridge, going towards Covington. Now this is going towards a border southern state. See. Uh, uh, Kentucky is, was a border state all through the Civil War, as was parts of Ohio. Did you ever see a movie called Friendly Persuasion? They sure did a rotten version of it recently on television. <laughs> it was terrible. It had nothing to do with the original. Friendly Persuasion was, was about the Civil War and its impact on the, on the southern part of Indiana, which was a border area, too where people's uh, loyalties were torn, you know. On one side, you felt the South was right there, and the other side, the North was way up there in Minnesota someplace. And here you were. So I was walking across the bridge this night. It was about 9, 10 o'clock. And, and it was hot. And I was, I was really, I felt like a human cake of yeast. You know, you, you know those nights when you just feel like you just, you just can't really stand the sensuality, or don't you ever feel that? Come on, Jim, you must occasionally. <laughs> David, no. He goes to Princeton. I can't pay. He doesn't know these things. I'm talking about the basic animal in us. 
and I'm, I'm walking along in the dark, and the mosquitoes are around, and the fireflies were following you across the river, and they, they drift high, and way up in the air, high over the river, way up, uh, hawks, they're always circling. Uh, they, they, they circle over the river a great deal because, of course, dead fish, and they'll come swooping down on dead muskrat or something, and uh, you see these hawks up against that, that, that uh, soft moonlight, and it was hot, always hot. When all of a sudden I hear this sound, Again, I hear this boop, 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 way off in the distance. And then it hit me. I see where it's coming from. The first time I realized it, way upriver. Now, remember, I was way up at the top, right at the peak of the suspension bridge, which is maybe 60 or 70 feet over the river. It's high up. It's suspended way up over because this river has tremendous flood stages. And so the river bridge has to be very high. And I was maybe eight or nine or ten stories, maybe more than that, above the above the surface of the water. And on either side, you could see these hills crawling up way up to the sky. And way down at the bend of the river, I see this tremendous sight coming right around the bend. Great blaze of lights, just glowing, just like a jewel coming uh, coming towards Cincinnati. It was the Delta Queen. And uh, she was she was just coming from up somewhere near Portsmouth, and coming downstream. She was just coming downstream, drifting down towards Louisiana. Actually, ultimately Louisiana. What she did was come downstream, go past Louisville, and uh, pick up uh, passengers and mail and freight, and continue on down to finally, ultimately New Orleans. That's where those paddle boats went. If you ever wondered where the paddle boats went. You'd see the paddle. You think they just fooled around in New Orleans all the time, so that the uh, so that the slaves could sing "Old Man River." <laughs> well, they went to places like Cincinnati and at St. Louis and Louisville. And you know that there were river pirates uh, that would skulk in caves outside of Louisville and go out and hit these babies when they go by at night. Well, this this great boat came came around the bend, and, and you could hear the sound of it. That's the thing that uh, in the dead silence that you don't hear much about, and I think that people miss in, in uh, you might say, watching secondhand media like television or movies. But way off in the distance, you could hear this big paddle wheel, see, is, is going into this water. You could hear this, it's got a sort of a, a, a kind of a reverberating throb to it. It goes like, a little bit like this, it goes, and you could hear this thing, and, and that is echoing off of the sides of the the uh, the hills that go arching up, and it was just a blaze with lights. And on on board the the uh, boat, it was just about dinner time on the boat. You know, they have these elegant dinners on the boat, and uh, this guy is playing a calliope. They had a calliope, a steam calliope, and he would sit up at the at the bow of this thing, way up in the front, and it had big handles. <laughs> he'd sit up there, and he'd go boop 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 and it's this tremendous boat that comes down that river. Well, from that time on, it was a, such a uh, such a sensational sight. There was nothing else on the river. There was not another boat. Uh, in fact, uh, you couldn't see even lights in the hills. It was really dark. And this magnificent boat coming towards me on the river. And I, I stood up at the bridge and I watched it drift downstream. And then he slowly drifted with the current. You know, to be able to operate one of these babies against those currents takes uh, really tremendous uh, 
rivermanship, I suppose you'd call it. It's, it's the art of Mark Twain piloting the boat. And all of a sudden, you just hear him cut the power, and the thing goes, and it drifts sideways down the river, this great boat, tremendous boat with uh, all the, the, the thing ablaze with lights and all that white filigree and the people aboard. And then just at the last instant, he goes, and it just pushes it in, and it swings around, and he touched that wharf just like a, like a virgin's kiss, man. It was fantastic. And he just drifted sideways and into the river. And then I stood up there and watched it. And I, I saw the guys throwing the ropes out. They were down below me, way down below and to my left on the Cincinnati side. And the gangplank went out. The people started to come off. And I said, what a fantastic sight. That uh, very few places in America can you actually see a genuine paddle wheel riverboat come drifting downstream. And I mean one that's doing its job, not in a museum or tied up at a wharf and now it's a tricky little restaurant. I'm talking about the real thing doing it. And I, I, I'm just really glad that I had the chance to see it, you know. And every night after that, I would come come back over the river just in time. I, I got to know the schedule. So every night at 10 after 9, that thing would come down around the big bend towards Portsmouth. I'd see him drift down. And then one night, the sister ship, the... Uh, the River Queen. There were two. There was the Delta Queen and the River Queen. The Delta, by the way, of course, is the Mississippi Delta. Uh, and they were they were both beautiful white ships. And one night, one of them blew up in Pittsburgh. Just blew up. Literally blew sky high, which is one of the problems with these boats. <laughs> it just went boom. And a friend of mine was on the fan tail of the ship when it blew. Yeah, he played the banjo of all things. And he was blown 115 feet. He landed. He's okay. And I said, that was fantastic flight. He says, yeah, that was quite a flight. This is W.O.R.